Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, thank you for coming. Normally it's not this uh, uh, interesting. It is blessed for sure. It is a great experience to come to Martha Bowman and worship, but sometimes when you have some of these interesting things thrown in the mix, it, it just makes life a lot more, and it reveals who we truly are. Uh, as I said before, uh, you know, we're uh, going to talk about God's blessed deliverance in our life, and it's in the middle of this sermon series called Wilderness. Oh, let me tell you about my pink shirt. This is the only pink shirt I have, okay? And so since Cherry Blossom started, I thought this is the best Sunday to be wearing a pink shirt. So anyway, oh man, I'm just scattered this morning. This this threw me for a loop. Uh, But we're in a sermon series called Wilderness, and uh, the blessed part about this is that in the midst of our wilderness experiences, God can show up. God does show up. God is not leaving us alone. And so the first week, the video that we saw was Elsie, uh, and she shared her heart about being on staff and being new in Macon and, and feeling alone, and uh, then the financial pressure that she was experiencing, and, but how God had c- came through and, and provided for her a community, you guys, to be friends and, and to, for, to hold her up. And we talked about the fact that we may be alone in these wilderness experiences, but we're never forsaken. And Jesus was alone when he went into the wilderness but God did not forsake him, and there was a time of testing for Jesus, and the, and the tempter came and tested him, and how sometimes at the lowest point, that's when you start feeling these, these uh, desires or these temptations, because Satan knows that he can get at us when we're at our lowest point. So we talked about, you know, being strong within that. Uh, last week, Fran shared with you about thirsting in the desert, in the wilderness, and you heard from Max, uh, who was actually stationed in Baghdad, and so it's a true arid area and his wilderness experience. He was thirsting for his uh, relationship with the Lord and how he was nurtured uh, through Bible studies that were provided over there. Uh, But we have a spiritual thirst as well as a uh, biological, physical thirst. And in the desert, in the wilderness, you definitely experience that. Uh, Sometimes these wilderness experiences come because of decisions that we make or things that are done uh, because of what other people decide to do that affects us in a negative way sometimes. Sometimes, as we've spoken about, uh, these wilderness experiences happen because God is leading us into a season or allowing us to go into a difficult season because on the other side, we're going to be stronger and other things can, good can come from that. And so as Jesus was led into the wilderness, as the people of Israel were led into the wilderness, it was God's direction and guidance. Now, we're going to see this morning some of their decisions caused problems And then the rest of their time in the wilderness was a result, not of God's desire for them, but a consequence of their actions. Uh, So this morning, we're blessed to hear from Anna. And so let's uh, listen to her story from the wilderness. Hi, I'm Anna Spinks. I work at the Girl Scouts. I'm a membership support manager there. And I'm a wife and I'm a mother. My family life growing up was very rough. Um, My dad got diagnosed in 2006 with bipolar. If you've never experienced um, a loved one having bipolar, it's very difficult. Um, We would find a good medication and then it would start working and then he would stop taking it because he thought he was healed. He ended up leaving and just one day we came home and he wasn't there. Around this time, um, my brother ended up having to come home from college And he had been diagnosed with bipolar as well, but his stemmed from ADHD. And when it stems from a more hyperactive, it's, he was more the aggressor. 
And so it wasn't uncommon for me to come home and see police cars at my house. Um, one time I came home and there was blood everywhere. My mom was laying on the ground and um, she had a concussion and my brother was nowhere to be seen. But during this time, this a lot of turmoil was going on. I showed no emotion and I just pushed everything down and I stayed as busy as possible. I went off to college. I had gotten a full ride to Barry College. So I started off school, it was going great. Um, I had a great course load and um, I kept myself busy because I was like, this has been this has been a good thing for me, so I'm just gonna keep myself as busy as possible. That Halloween, I went to my first college party and I started to drink and I liked how it made me feel. So I found ways to get alcohol. Um, I never had a fake ID, but I found ways for people to buy me alcohol and I would get out, done with school, with class, and go home, go back to my dorm and make a drink and I would just drink. That was my way to numb the pain. January of 2012, I remember going to a party and the next thing you know, I'm waking up in a hospital room. My mom was over, um, over the bed crying. And basically what had happened was I'd went to the party and I drank a lot. And when they found me, my heart was not beating. And after they'd pumped my stomach twice, I still blew a .327. I should have been dead. This should have been a wake-up call. But it actually, the residual impact from this experience made me go into a deeper hole. I lost my scholarship, and so by, the, by April, I just wanted to be done, so I finished my classes early, and I came home. And so all these emotions were happening, but I kept on pushing and pushing them down. I wasn't ready to deal with my, my deeper issues. And so I kept on drinking, um, and then I got introduced to prescriptions and they were very easily accessible. And so I kept on doing that and just going every single day. Like that summer of 2012, I don't really remember it. I remember working, making lots of money, but it was, I was in a fog. And then February 8th, I left my friend's house. And then next thing you know, I'm waking up in a hospital room again. And so I, apparently I had been driving and I had ran off the road and the car had like hit a lot. But the police officer who actually saw the wreck happen, he was like, you should have been dead. And this was really my wake up call. I realized I had been in a fog for so many years and I had been just trying to push it all down. And it was the darkest time. Um, I do remember it. I have grown from it, but at the same time, a lot of the details are so foggy and I feel like that's God's way, just being like, you know, it's okay. Because, you know, when you're in these times and you you experience these things, I, I did stuff that I just don't, I wouldn't do. I was around people who I shouldn't be hanging around with. I was put in compromising positions that should not have happened. God's grace was surrounding me the whole time because while I was in the hospital twice. There were so many instances that like, I look back and I'm just like, you know, why, why did you save me, God? You know, like, why, why? And it took me a long time to realize like, 
that this is just another part of my life. And it happened for a reason and God surrounded me with his grace and his love. And after my wreck, I, um, while I was ashamed, it still, I realized he had never left me. And even though I had felt loneliness in that time, loneliness from the not the love of my father, um, I realized, and my mom made me realize that, you know, God, God saved me, and He had His hands on me, and He protected me in those extreme times. And she was like, you know, you're alive because of God. <laughs> you're not alive because of me. You're not alive of anybody else. But God saved you and he has a plan for you. And he's, she was like, you know, even though you don't see it at this moment, because I didn't, <laughs> it took me, it took me actually a couple of years to see my purpose and my plan that God had for me. And from that, I have grown, you know, tenfold. My name is Anna Spinks, and this is my story from the wilderness. Isn't it powerful when people open up and they share difficult times in their life? Um, I love what Anna said. God surrounded me with his grace and with his love. In the midst of those difficult times where she was trying to numb the pain... God didn't walk away and go, you know, you're, you're making bad choices and I'm through with you. And God won't do that to us. He surrounded her with his grace and with his love. And she said, God saved me. For every person ever born, God is, because he created us, is always extending to each human his grace, and his love. And if we cry out to him, and if we look to him for deliverance, for the answer, for help, whatever it may be, because of who he is, he will respond to us. And so the issue that we have to deal with is, is what is keeping somebody from crying out to God? What is the barrier that won't allow them to look to heaven. So as a Christ follower, you and I, part of our job as obedient children is to live in such a way that we're not a barrier to someone coming to faith. And because of our life, they look at us and go, whatever you have, I want. Not material possessions, but the peace, the joy, the faith, the things that they see that aren't, aren't tangible in the sense of, of material things. Because that would be coveting or that would be, you know. But the quality of life God gives us. So we're not a barrier because of how we live. But we're actually one that invites. And, and, and so in the midst of people's pain, they're going to look for answers. In the midst of a wilderness experience, people are going to look for a way out. And God is always, for all of us, that way out. 
He is the one who delivers. He is the one who sets free. And we're going to look at a, a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament and one in the New where there is deliverance and there is freedom and there is salvation. Um, the first passage we're going to look at is, is uh, from the Old Testament. And I want to kind of set up the situation. We've been talking about the children of Israel and we've been talking about their wilderness experience but also talking about some situations in the life of Jesus and some New Testament situations. So this first one, and there's a map up here I want us to, to look at, uh, has to do with, with what happened with the children of Israel. And uh, I kind of want to walk you through to where we get to the point where we are in the Scripture we're going to look at. Um, so kind of a history lesson, and I don't want to bore you, but so, so the nation of Israel, they're, they're in Egypt uh, for... 400 years or, or several hundred years, and they're slaves. Now, they got there because Joseph went down. He was sold into slavery. He's there, and, and uh, you might remember the story from, from Genesis. And, uh, and Joseph gets put into prison, and God is with him, and, and then he becomes second in charge of all of Egypt. Powerful story. Read about it in the book of Genesis. And then it says another Pharaoh rose up, another king of Egypt rose up and didn't know Joseph, didn't know the story of, of God and and who Joseph was, and the people of Israel that are, that are down there are so numerous that this Pharaoh says, there's way too many. And if, they, if we ever go to war, these people might side with my enemy, so I need to put them into forced labor. So they become slaves, and they're living in Egypt, and uh, they're, they're slaves. And so uh, they're crying out to God for help. They're crying out to God for deliverance, uh, and Moses is born. Moses is actually born during a time where the king of Egypt said, I want to kill all the babies male babies, because I want to keep them from getting larger and larger in number. And so you might remember the story. Moses is hid in a basket, and she's put in the Nile River, and, and Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses, and he, he grows up, and then uh, later on kills an Egyptian and, and uh, flees from Pharaoh, and he's on the backside of the desert uh, watching sheep and gets married and, and uh, takes care of his father's sheep. God speaks to him in uh, Exodus chapter 3 from a burning bush. And says, Moses, I've been hearing my people crying out for help. I'm going to send you back to Egypt, and you're going to take care of them. You're going to, you're going to set them free. And Moses says, woo, I don't know if I can do that. Well, anyway, long story short, God delivers them. So they come out of Egypt, and they come to this city, uh, Succoth, and they're there. And in that city, in that time where, where after the plagues and everything, and Pharaoh says, y'all leave, uh, they're there. And God appears in a cloud by day. His presence is tangible. There's a cloud. And then at night, there's a pillar of fire. And so for the rest of the time that the people of Israel wander in the wilderness or in the wilderness, every day there's a pillar, a cloud by day and fire by night. And they know that God is with them and leads them. So it starts right here. So Pharaoh changes his mind. He says, you know what? Uh, I don't know why I let all my forced labor go. I got to get them back. And so the nation of Israel keeps on coming down, and uh, Pharaoh's army comes to, to, to get them back into captivity. And that's when the sea parts, the people of Israel go across. And then when Pharaoh's army comes in, God uh, collapses the water back on them and drowns his army. They get across a miraculous, powerful story. They come down, and they go to uh, Marah. Uh, Mara. So at Marah, this is about three days into their journey, they get to the water there, and it's bitter. And they start complaining to Moses, you know, why did you bring us in the desert? There's nothing to drink, and this water's no good. You're, you're here, you're, they're angry with Moses. And God says, basically, take this tree, throw it in the water. Moses does that, and the water becomes sweet. 
and they have something to drink, and they're really, really excited. And so they keep going. They go a little bit further, and they come to this little town, uh, Lim. And so in this town, there's 12 springs and 70 palm branches, uh, palm, date palm trees, and they're just hanging out. Now, the estimate, they, they count the men. There's 600,000 men. So we don't know how many women, how many children, but we know that that's how many men. So this is a big group of people. It's just not like 500 folks Moses is having to deal with, but there's a lot of folks. And so when they get here, they're chilling out. They're having a good time. Uh, and then they come down here to the wilderness of sin. Isn't that an interesting name? So they, they leave here and they come down. And in this area, um, it's, they're about two months into their travels. And now they're really getting hungry. So they start complaining. They start grumbling. They say, you know, we wish we were back in Egypt. There's nothing to eat. You know, Moses, you're not taking good care of us. And then in this area here, that's when God provides the manna. Now, the manna came every morning, and it was like dew on the ground. And it's described like this, a fine flake-like thing. Isn't that funny? A fine, a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. Uh, it was like um, a wafer with honey. And so that's the manna. And so they would gather every morning. Now, on the Sabbath day, they weren't supposed to do any, any work. So uh, the day before the Sabbath, they would gather up twice as much and have enough for the Sabbath days. They weren't supposed to work. And then the next day, they would be able to gather again. Now, the interesting thing is, if you took your manna, let's say on a Tuesday, and you gathered it up for the day, and you ate it, and you said, I'm going to leave some over for the next day so I don't have to go get any more, guess what would have happened? Yeah, it got foul, and worms were starting to eat it. So what that tells you is, on the Sabbath day, God really wanted them to rest so they could gather up twice as much, and it didn't spoil on the Sabbath. God provided for them. He wanted them to rest, and so he was going to take care of them. Any other day, if you left it for the next day, it, you couldn't eat it. It was, it, was not, it was not edible. So this is kind of where that happens. And so from that time on, every day, um, they got the manna. Now, another interesting thing that happened here is that uh, they wanted meat. And so God provided for them quail. And so uh, they had meat and quail to eat. They come down a little bit further. They get here, and they're complaining about water again. And so they're, they're talking to Moses. He's ang they're angry with Moses. God, uh, Moses goes to God and said, you know, hey, they're, they're, they're going to stone me. They're going to kill me. And so God said, take the leaders, the 70 leaders that you've, you've picked out, uh, and, and come to this rock and take the staff that's in your hand and strike the rock. And from that rock, I'm going to bring water out. Miracle, powerful miracle, just like the parting with the Red Sea, just like the plagues, just provide God's provision. So Moses does that strikes a rock, and water comes out, and they've got water enough for everybody. Uh, they get into a big battle. Uh, actually, Liz preached on this several weeks ago, uh, and that's where as long as Moses held his arms up, the Joshua and the people prevailed. But when Moses lifted uh, his arms, uh, the other uh, Amalek started to win. And so that's where God, uh, huge, huge victory in battle. So the people are pretty pumped. They're pretty excited. Uh, they they uh, are victorious in battle. And, and uh, Moses puts up a, a, an altar there, and, it's, and he names that place the Lord My Banner. Have y'all heard that before? His banner over me is love. Y'all remember that song from being a child? So that happens there. Then they come down to Sinai, or Mount Horeb. And so when they get there, 
That's when God says, all right, Moses, I'm going to put you uh, in a place of leadership. I'm, I'm going to give you the commandments. I'm going to tell you how I want my people to live in the promised land. And so he goes up on the mountain. Now, the days before, God came down with lightning and smoke and fire, and everybody's like, oh, God's on the mountain. It's really freaking them out. Uh, and Moses goes up there and stays up there. And then for several chapters in the book of Exodus, you see God giving the commands. This is how you're supposed to worship. This is what the priests are supposed to do. This, I want you to build a tabernacle. I want you to do this. Law after law after law, command after command after command, ways to live, how to treat one another, even what to do when you got mildew in your house. I mean, there's all kind of stuff that God tells Moses. Now, the problem is while Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God, the people down below are getting a little antsy. Where's Moses? He's up on the mountain with God. We don't know if he's dead or not. So they press Aaron, Moses' relative, who's the priest and who was one of the spokespersons. Uh, and you know what he does? He makes the golden calf, right? And they start worshiping this, this calf that they made out of gold that they plundered, uh, plundered from the Egyptians. The Egyptians gave him gold when they left. And so when Moses comes down, he's, you know, uh, he's like, what are y'all doing? And, uh, and so they destroy the calf and, and other things happen. But uh, so the Ten Commandments. Now, one of the things that happened is you might remember, Moses is so angry, he takes the tablets that the Ten Commandments written on. What does he do? He breaks them. He's so angry with the people. Why are you worshiping this calf? You know, they're gone. Well, God says, hey, listen, let's do it again. Let's do a makeover. So Moses goes back up on the mountain and takes two more tablets, and God writes it with his finger. Again, all the laws, all the, all the commandments. And so they, he comes down. I'm going to speed this up. They start going back up, and, and they leave here. They've been here about now about two years, a little over two years, and so now they're going back up. Into, now, the, the goal, God wanted to take them from slavery to Egypt into the promised land. This is where God promised Abraham. This is where your people are going to be able to live. He promises, man, this is land flowing with milk and honey. This is where I want you to go. This is where I want you to live. So they get up here. We're going to fast forward. A lot of things happen this way, and they get uh, to Kadesh. When they get to Kadesh, uh, Moses says, all right, I want one person from each tribe, and I want to send you into this promised land. I want you to spy it out. I want you to hang out there. I want you to find out what it's like. Tell me about what the people are like. So for 40 days, Joshua and Caleb are two of them, and then there's 10 others that represent the other tribes, and they go and they check out the land. And it is amazing. It's beautiful. It's lush. It's, it's great. It's, you know, they say it's flowing with milk and honey. They brought back some of the fruit. The fruit was so heavy they had to take a pole to carry the grapes. I mean, they were just, you couldn't just carry them like this. I, it was just awesome. But the problem was there were giants in the land and there were fortified cities and it was pretty intimidating on one hand. So they come back, they get back and, and they're like, well, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful place, but there's lots of people that live there that I don't think we can defeat. That's what 10 of them say. Joshua and Caleb said, no, no, we can, we can, we can win. God's given us the city, don't worry about it. Well, the people decide that they're not going to obey the Lord and they're going to grumble and complain and say, no, we're not going in there. We can't take the land. And so from there, they start wandering over here and it gets to the point where we are now. There's some other things happen, but they're right here at Mount Hor. Now, um, in this area, this is where Aaron dies. Uh, Forty years into it, he dies there, and a lot of interesting things happen. But here's where we take up. So a lot of things have happened. God's brought them. They've won battles. They've gotten victory. They've gotten food. They've gotten water. All kind of things happen. Um, they decide they're not going to go into the promised land. They have another battle. Uh, a lot of things have going on. But in chapter 21 of Numbers, verse 4, it says, and this is in your bulletin as well if you'd like to read. 
Then they set out from Mount Hor, and they came to the Red Sea uh, to go around the land of Edom. For the people became impatient with this because of their journey, and the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food or water. Uh, there was food, there was water, but it wasn't what they wanted. Um, and we loathe this miserable food, this food that God had provided, the manna, the quail, the, you know, they were tired of it. All right, so all of this, they spurned God. They said, we're not going to go into the promised land. They've been grumbling the whole time. So this is what God does. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people in Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that, we may, that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when they look at it, they will be healed. And so that's what Moses did. He, built, he, he made this bronze serpent, put it on a staff, and anytime somebody was bitten by a fiery serpent, now it doesn't mean the serpent had fire and everything like that, but, but what most scholars say is the folks, uh, these, these types of serpents, well, they, there was a, a, a fire, a feeling of burning from the poison and everything like that. So uh, this idea, so God provided a way of deliverance for those, who, even though they had sinned, even though they had, they had just been grumbling and complaining and they didn't want to do what God wanted them to do. They, they just said, you know, God said, okay, well, I'm going to punish. I'm, I'm going to allow you to, to experience the consequences of your sin. And so there it is. They, they start getting bit by snakes. Now, in God's mercy and in God's kindness, he could have let them all get wiped out. But because they've cried out, and just remember, we talked about in a, in a time of despair, cry out to the Lord, seek the Lord. And in that time of, 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 of uh, wilderness, when they looked to the serpent, they were healed. Now, that doesn't make any sense to most folks. That's not logical for most people. But by faith, if they did what God told them to do, everything was going to work out. Now, let's jump to the New Testament. This is in uh, John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It says, Jesus is saying this, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man, and that's Jesus himself, uh, must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus, will have eternal life. So this idea of deliverance, this idea of God taking care of us is seen in lots of different ways, but especially in that story with the snakes and especially Jesus referencing that, saying, I'm going to be lifted up, I'm going to be put on a cross and if you believe in me, if you look to me for deliverance, if you look to me for salvation, if you look to me and you believe and you have trust in what God has done, even though it might not make sense to you, why would I need to believe in the fact that Jesus died and his blood cleanses me from sin? That might not seem like it even makes sense. But if you trust, if I trust in what God has done for us, then we'll be delivered, we'll be saved, we'll be set free. And it has to do with faith and it has to do with obedience. The people in Israel, when they looked to the snake, everything was fine that, that Moses put up. And then when we look to the cross and we look to what Jesus has done, then we are saved. We are saved. Anna said, God saved me. God will save each person who looks to him if they do it as he said to do. And that is to look to Jesus for salvation, repentance, forgiveness of sin, and we will be delivered. So no matter what wilderness situation you and I may find ourselves in,
the answer is always, always, always the same. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and cry out to him. And God will answer and only God can deliver.